0: What can we learn about the practice of prayer from the great prayers in the Bible? The Bible is full of the prayers of believers from across the centuries. Abraham, we saw some of you were here on Wednesday last week, looked at Abraham. Nehemiah, David in the Old Testament, the apostles, and Jesus himself, of course, we can learn from his prayer life by reading about him in the Gospels. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery notes there are 50 substantial prayers Recorded in the narrative sections of the Bible, and hundreds, doesn't tell us how many hundred, but hundreds, of shorter prayers or references to people praying. And the authors of that, or the author of that article says, says, the writers are far more interested in showing people at prayer than in telling about prayer. Interesting. I'm guessing this is how most of us have learnt about prayer. We, just, we might have read a book about prayer or done a theology of prayer course or something but generally it's because we see people pray we come to chapel and we hear somebody pray and say that's a great prayer or we seen our mother or grandmother or father whoever it is pray and we learn by observing others and of course that's not always positive the examples of others uh, there's the story of the Sunday school child asked if he said his prayers at night he answered no, mummy does it for me Every night I hear her say, Thank God you're in bed at last. (laughs) Another story the family entertaining some church friends for dinner, and the hostess, keen to show that they upheld good Christian standards in their home, asked her five year old son to say grace. He looked blank, there was an awkward pause followed by a reassuring smile from the boy's mother. Well, darling, just say what Daddy said at breakfast this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the boy repeated, Oh, God, we've got those awful people coming for dinner tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So, the lesson is, be careful in what we pray. Well, today we're going to look at the Apostle Paul and prayer, at prayer. What can we learn from Paul about prayer, and in particular about praying for others, And as Patrick said, the reason we're doing this, we're having a a little bit of a a campaign, I guess, at Ridley, the faculty, the student committee said, let's, uh, between the days of uh, Ascension and Pentecost, May 25 to June the 4th, join Christians around the world in praying for five friends, five people groups, five nations, to come to know Christ. And afterwards, I'll hand out this little prayer card. You might find this useful if you'd like to join in that and be involved in some of the events of prayer happening at college and down to the cathedral uh, later on in June. Well, I want to suggest from this uh, reading, this passage, four things that we see in how Paul prayed. The four C's of Paul's prayer. One, we see Paul praying constantly. Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, he says. Verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, and so forth. Paul is writing to a group of Christians he has never met. He's in prison, and he may never get to meet them. Yet he's heard about them from his friend Papyrus. He's heard about the challenges they're facing as Christians in a pagan city. False teachers. Mike Bird's been talking about that the last few Tuesdays, and he knows they need prayer. And as a result of hearing the news from Epaphras, he adds them to his prayer list. Now, this characteristic of Paul as somebody who prays constantly for fellow Christians is, of course, seen in each of his epistles. Ephesians chapter one verse fifteen. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, he says. 1 Thessalonians 1. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember you before God. For Paul, prayer is not an optional extra in the Christian life, but something which is embedded into his daily routine. Don Carson has written a great little book on um, Paul's prayers. And he says he's learnt eight lessons in prayer from reading about Paul and looking at the lives of others. But the very first lesson he lists this is a great saint of old, a great present saint, I should say, Don Carson, who we think would know a lot about prayer. He says, his discovery, the first lesson, the hardest lesson, he says, much praying is not done because we do not simply plan to pray. I don't know if that's your experience, where the prayer is just like, I wake up, do I feel like praying? Maybe I'll do it. Sometimes for me, it's the overwhelming nature of the day. I just go straight to it. Unless I plan to pray, it doesn't happen. It gets pushed back, it gets pushed back. But before I know it, I haven't spent a proper time of prayer with the Lord in that day. Carson says, uh, The fundamental reason why set times for prayer are important is they ensure vague desires for prayer are concretized in regular practice. After all the difficulties have been duly recognised and the dangers of legalism properly acknowledged, we don't be legalistic and have set time for prayer. He said, the fact remains, unless we plan to pray, we won't pray. True? I think that's true. Uh, The uh, constancy of prayer. Secondly, Paul prayed not only constantly, he prays corporately. Did you notice the plural? We always thank God the Father for our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, verse 3. Verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask. The picture here is of not Paul, the heroic, solo apostle, besieging God alone in his prison cell, but Paul with Epaphras, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus these other people you read about in Colossians all together having a prayer meeting in the prison for these churches that they're seeking to support friends there's something powerful when Christians gather together to pray what happens I guess we experience this don't we in chapel you might come sort of not feeling great you end up hopefully feeling positive when you leave the place because you've been strengthened by the corporate prayers of God's people When we pray together, we move forward in faith. At times, our spiritual imaginations get stretched when somebody prays, and you think, wow, that's what I should be praying about those people in Africa, wherever it is. There's something powerful when Christians gather together to pray. Uh, One of the most impactful times for me was in learning this when I was a pastor of a church in a place called Cranbourne on the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne as a young minister. I went with great enthusiasm to pastor the church. So what does Richard do? He puts his head down and gets on with the job. I was the heroic solo pastor. Yet within 12 months, I was spent. My physical life, my emotional life, my spiritual health was impacted. My family were impacted. There were strains and stresses everywhere. But the turning point for me, I think, came when I bumped into the local Baptist minister who was an older, wiser guy who said he'd been visiting all the local churches around the place and he discovered my story was everybody else's story. And he said, the Salvation Army guys said the same, the United Church guy said the same and he said, let's gather together to pray. And so he called us together, we shared our stories and somehow he recognised that by regular support of each other and prayer for our community not just me and my own place doing it prayer for, for all of us in our community that maybe that would make a difference and so we committed to pray a week by week, month by month, year by year and slowly things began to turn not only within us but within our churches prayer is hard work we have an enemy who doesn't want us to pray. Often the enemy is ourselves, our own lethargy. And because of that, we need to strive together in doing it. A friend of mine once said, if the morning service of a church is full, it tells you the church is popular. If the evening service is full, it tells you the pastor is popular. (laughs) If the prayer meeting is full, it tells you that God is popular. In many ways, the spiritual temperature of a church can be seen in the way that people gather together to pray. So I hope that when these, you know, the student committee said, let's during SWATVAC, a time of pressure, let's get together. What are the times I've forgotten them. What are they? 10.30 and 4.30 p.m. during SWATVAC. Try and set aside a little bit of your study time to pray for each other. And I'm telling you, you'll, you'll probably be encouraged in your own study, you'll get a different perspective. Okay, the first two C's. Paul prays consistently. Paul prays corporately. Thirdly, from this chapter, Paul prays confidently. Paul starts his prayer for the Colossians, as he does in his prayer for the Ephesians, Philippians, everyone, all the others. He starts with thanksgiving. And he starts that, because not because he's confident in the Colossians themselves, For in many ways, they're weak and under threat. But because he's confident in what God has been doing with them. Note how he tops and tails this prayer section with thanksgiving. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then he speaks of the three things that he's heard about. We've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. So the Gospels come to them. They now trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard of this. We've heard of the love you have for God's people. That faith has changed their life. Therefore, they love each other. And that springs, he says, verse 5, the faith and hope that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven. The gospel brought them hope. That hope gave them trust in Christ and has given them love for each other. And then, in verse 12, he says, And what I want to pray for you guys is that you also, verse 12, might give joyful thanks to the Father. I want you to be a a thanksgiving type people as well. And why is that? He says, "Look, look what God's done for you in verse 12. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. You have an inheritance. Verse 13, you've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. Verse 13b, you've been brought into God's kingdom And then 14, you now have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. Paul is thankful because God has been at work in these believers. Now he tells them how he's been thankful for them, of course, because he wants to teach them something, because he says, these false teachers who are coming to you are undermining the gospel. They're saying, your gospel, the gospel that Papyrus brought was okay, but actually, uh, we want to bring you something better than the gospel. And Paul says, no, this gospel brought you faith, hope, and love. It's the true message, he says at the end of verse 5, the true message of the gospel you heard. And just as the gospel is bearing fruit everywhere, it's borne fruit in your life. We can be thankful for what God has done. Friends, the more, I think, from my own experience, that we're able to thank God for what God has done in the past... What it does, it lifts our vision for what God might do in the future. Which is why thanksgiving precedes petition. For it causes us to focus not on what God hasn't done, but on what God has done. We focus not on the difficulties of our life, but on the God who can overcome our difficulties. He changes our perspective. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Tenboom, tells the story of how she learnt this lesson of giving thanks to God even in difficult circumstances. She and her sister Betsy had been transferred to the worst German prison camp they had seen, Ravensbrück. On entering the barracks, they found them extremely overcrowded and flea-infested. She writes this in her book. That morning, she says, our scripture reading was in 1 Thessalonians, which reminded us to rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Betsy told me to stop and thank the Lord for every detail of our new living quarters. I at first flatly refused to give thanks for the fleas. But Betsy persisted, and I finally succumbed to her pleadings. Well, during the months, we were surprised at how open we could hold Bible studies and prayer meetings without the guards interfering us in our prison cell and it wasn't until several months later that we learned that the reason the guards would not enter the barracks was because of the please. It's a lesson it's, it's something we have to learn, we give thanks to God as we do that our perspective changes and we become more confident in who God is and what God can do. The importance of thanksgiving. Paul prays constantly, he prays corporately He prays confidently for these people in what God has been doing. And finally, he prays with great clarity. Now, if you were to analyse your own prayers for yourself and others, I wonder what themes would regularly emerge. If it's for me, it's for good health, financial need, success in my exploits, for you, exams, essays, writings, whatever it is, direction for the future. And they're all good things. But it's note what Paul prays for here. It's not so much for the physical and material needs of the church at Colossae, but for their growth in Christian maturity. Verse 9. For this reason, that is, for the reason of what God has been doing amongst them, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to, note this, fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What's his main prayer? That God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. What's Mike been telling us about the problem the Colossians were facing with the false teachers, they were offering fullness by their teaching. If you've worshiped the angels, you'll be full of the deep knowledge of God. But Paul's saying here, "You don't need fullness of some new knowledge, you need a deeper and fuller knowledge of the gospel you've already received. Remember the main theme of Colossians chapter two verse six? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in Him. As you began, now continue. If you're after fullness, He's saying, I want you to be full of the knowledge of Christ. And what's the goal of this knowledge? Not that our heads will get bigger. John Stott used to talk about Christians in danger of becoming spiritual tadpoles huge heads and small tails nobody wants to be a spiritual tadpole I trust but the reason that he wants the Colossians, and we could say if we're praying for ourselves, want wants us to be full of the knowledge of his will is verse 10 so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way what does that life look like? he lists four things that you'll be a fruit bearer, or the Colossians will be fruit bearers in their life, that we'll be fruity people, bearing fruit in every good work, that we'll continue to grow in the knowledge of God, that Colossians and us, that we'll be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that we may have great endurance. The Colossians are in danger of giving up. No, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with all power, the resurrection power to keep on going in your Christian life. And verse 12, and that you become thankful people giving joyful thanks to the Father. Paul prays with great clarity. He knows exactly what they need. Yes, they need to be wealthier. yet that longer life or whatever it is. Pass their exams. But ultimately he knows what they really need is Deeper growth in understanding, growth in Christian service, growth in perseverance, greater Christ likeness. Friends, there is a powerful and clear prayer for other people. Sometimes when we pray for our friends, we rattle off various things, but when Paul teaches us here how to pray for the things that really count, he says, Get out of the valley. Move up to the mountain, see the big perspective of what God is wanting for, for each other, and begin to pray. Such prayer will make a difference. Because uh, Patrick said at the very beginning, we've got some Calvin fan boys and girls here, I don't know. Uh, I'll give you a quote from Calvin. Uh, this is Stott in one of his little chapters on prayer. He says, John Calvin wrote these words. Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him, or exciting God to do his duty, or urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom, in a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect good things both for themselves and for others, all good things. And Stott says, The purpose of petitionary prayer, which is what we're talking about, praying for other people, is not to inform God as though he were ignorant, not to persuade God as though he were reluctant, it's not to bend God's wills to ours, but rather align our will to his. Prayer which is constant, prayer which is corporate, Prayer which is confident and prayer which uh, seeks to pray constantly for God's people with great clarity. Let me finish with um, a story of a friend of mine, Rico Tice, who's an evangelist in All Souls, place some of you might know him. And Rico, uh, I think, is a great example of how he's taken this on board in his own life. Uh, Rico was converted as a boy and he loves sharing the gospel with people, he does it all the time but he found the people for whom he found it hardest to share the good news was his parents, his mum and dad, he loved his mum and dad dearly and he wanted them so dearly to come to know Christ but every time he sort of in his own faltering ways as a son to a parent tried to share the gospel, they were deaf they just couldn't hear it, he was always their son you know so he decided simply, I'll stop trying to do that, I'll just simply pray. So he began a commitment to prayer, day, night, week after week, year after year, Who prayed, Lord, would you please open my parents' eyes to the truth of who Jesus is? And one day he tells me, as he was praying, he had an insight that maybe uh, what was needed was for him still to share the gospel with them but to do it in a different way. So he said to them one week, would you come and hear me at All Souls as I preach? And they said, of course, we'd love to hear you. All Souls is a prestigious London church. Why What parent wouldn't want to come and hear their son preach at a prestigious church? And they did that. They had a great time. They heard his message. And then they had supper afterwards and that was it. Would you do it again? And again, they did it. And the practice came that they would hear, they would go to hear their son, because he was their son, not because of the gospel, because of the son hear the message. Over time, he began to see a change in them. His father decided to go to the local parish church. And soon, through the, that church, he opened up and became a Christian. His mother saw her husband begin to change. The, the, the faith, hope, and love we read about the Colossians, she began to see in him. And she also eventually came to faith. God opened their hearts to the gospel. He used prayer as a means of that happening. Prayer for them and prayer that changed the prayer that he might have imagination as how to reach them. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about the power of prayer. It affects change in us and God uses us it to affect change in others we're hoping that in this thy kingdom come program that we might become people bold to pray, to pray constantly for others, to pray corporately for others to pray, pray confidently in God's purposes for others and to pray with clarity for each other and for those for whom we love let's pray As you leave chapel today, we'll be handing out a card to those who'd like to take it. I want you to think now, who are five people that you would love to see to come to know the Lord? Who are the hardest people that you have tried to share the gospel with and they just can't seem to get it? Let's bring them to the Lord now. Loving Lord Jesus, please work in us so that we can share your love, your life, your message with these people we've named in our hearts. Please reveal your love to them, that they might come to know, come to follow and come to witness to you all for the sake of your glory. Amen.